All right, today we have a very special, special, special guest. So a southern brother from another mother, Dave Kramer from Sock F fame. He's back. So we did an audio podcast with him years ago, and he's back to do the video. So you can see the emotion, the commitment, the compassion in this man's eyes when he talks about supporting special operations. So Dave and I, we met back just a few years after the war started in Atlanta. Uh, in his journey through the industry, supporting the Tier 1 groups within our military. Now he's at Magpul, doing things like these DACA pouches, which are extremely convenient. Magpul, who's famous for doing the CTR stock and the PMAG. So Dave does a lot of great work there. But Special Operations Care Fund is a thing I really want to talk about that's extremely special that he's done and that I'm proud of for him. They raise tons of money. 100% pass-through, nobody takes a salary for all the special operations that need anything. Medically, Gold Star Kids, psychological treatment, addiction. Uh, it's just a great organization to support. What is this? I don't have my glass. Seven C's. Seven C's. Our sponsor. I can't. I know. <laughs> our, our unofficial alcohol sponsor. They sent us more beer. Yep. Uh, I love that guy. Yeah. So I'm going to try this. The hazy cool. IPA. Ooh. Um, so, oh, they sent me. The, I'm going to call it Ooh. a chalice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it looks. Uh, I'm going to assume this is a fancy beer drinker glass because it feels pretty feminine, quite honestly. <laughs> like I'm a little more of a mug guy. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm going to live with Vita Loca, man. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead with this fancy uh, thing and call it a chalice. Yeah. I have to take a... Didn't do a good pour there either. Did you go to like bartender college or whatever? Yep. I have a degree, uh, 1994, from the Atlanta School of Bartending. Wasn't that originally the Connecticut School of, Bra uh, of Bartending on uh, Beaufort Highway? Was it? I don't know. Yeah. Or was it originally the Atlanta School of Bartending and Connecticut bought it? Maybe so. I wasn't born. Well, welcome, Dave Kramer. Thank you. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I went. I went actually to bartending school when I was nineteen. And it was was it the one on Buford Highway? Yeah, it was on Buford at, Highway, at Claremont. Mm -hmm. I totally know where it is. Yeah, yeah. So I went there when I was going to uh, DeKalb College. Yeah. Junior I Junior College. I regional. took one, one class at DeKalb College. I got what an associate's degree from there. Damn, you guys are learning. I dropped out. <sighs> Of community college, yes. <laughs> loser. I was not. I was not uh, <laughs> community ac college material. Astute. <laughs> I had other. It's gifts. a headshot. I had other gifts. Yeah, yeah. You did. What? Um, <laughs> all right, we'll get into those in a second. So I, I want to give a shout out to people that uh, sent us some stuff this all week right. before I forget. And this does not include everyone, but I do love uh, the seven C's. Also, easy IPA. I don't I mean all the IPAs they've sent. They've sent like four. These guys are cool. Have my. They sent one chalice. It must be a chalice. It's all right because they sent one. Yeah, yeah and there was not community chalet. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so our homies from EOTech, they saw my African eight six rifle. Did not have a 
EOTech or Voodoo Optic on it. And I decided to go with some magnification because I think I'm taking uh, the longer 8.6 barrel to Africa. Me and my boy Tommy in a couple days here. So sent me the 1 to 8. And even though I'm already zeroed and set, I'm going to swap it out for this. So thank you very much. Put it this way so you can see. Yep, Voodoo. This is going to play part in killing some stuff. Uh, there's that, that shirt. The sh oh, the shirt. So, um, yeah, the Wu Tang. Yep. So, so you know, Ivanka not being from this country, did not grow up watching Southern wrestling as Dave and I are very familiar with. This would be uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the styling and profiling, Ric Flair, Wu Tang. So right here. <laughs> So I got she watched the thirty for thirty with Ric Flair oh, and yeah. her mind was blown because <laughs> they don't have that shit in yeah. Bowling. Nope. And um, so she just thought it was hilarious and it made sense like the quote on the gun and so she's like let's watch more of these we watched the resurrection of Jake the Snake and then oh so coming back so we got to see uh, Uncle Todd Uncle as you Todd. guys call him yes sir so from Tactical <laughs> Distributors and uh, I got new panties. There you go. Battle briefs. <laughs> the battle briefs. I'm totally excited. I didn't even know they had a three-pack. I didn't either. Unpossible 15, 15% off. You get the most comfortable underwear in the world. Like, I I mean, Tactical Distributors has a lot of great products. Yep. And I'm no hoe for everybody. Like, they have some stuff I don't really care about. But the majority of their products, and especially these underwear, oh, my God, treat yourself, people. Now, I have to say, yeah, what? I have to say, um, they also gave me a bundle of panties. Yeah, you probably got the and girls' I, briefs. And I've been wearing them. Oh, man, are the battle briefs comfortable. They feel good. Don't and they? you were right about the, the pocket for your for, for, your, for, for your, your junk. Yeah, for your junk. Shit comes right out when you got a piece. You're totally <laughs> right it's about like, that. Yeah, it's like automatic. I, uh, I still, number one, I, I think, shout out to you, Tommy, for giving our only sponsor a plug. I'm also calling bullshit because... Dave, I don't know if you saw Tommy's pants, but there is no way he's fitting some panties between him <laughs> and those tight-ass spandex Those Lululemon pants. pants oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. When we were at Tactical Distributors, which reminded me, I found a couple hidden Post-it notes <laughs> that uh, might have a connection to our friend Dave Kramer here. Oh, you did? And I my, certainly my did. children. <laughs> I don't know yeah. this. Explain, please. Uh, well, maybe Dave can explain it. Um, whenever I go to TD and uh, tactical distributors, yeah, that's what you know. Guys. Us in the know. That's right. It. I will. Uh, if Todd is not in his office, I will. I will commandeer it and uh, get a sharpie and uh, stick a post-it notes and leave leave notes all over his place. So, last time <laughs> I was there, my two sons, Conrad and Davis, uh, we were in there and we posted uh, male genitalia and some female genitalia handwritten notes seems he will find those for the next 15 years <laughs> so awesome. whenever he finds them he just snaps a picture and sends them to me that's pretty great yeah, yeah todd's a great dude shout out for the neptune shorts i'm the wearing neptune. some right now They're oh long. is that what i, I think yeah. that's maybe what i've got on yeah I don't, I don't keep those are not Neptunes. They're not. No, what are they? The, 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 the tiger stripe ones you have are the Neptunes. I gave them to Ethan. I oh. felt, I know, I, you don't know how. I mean, that is my love for Ethan Lassard. <laughs> is he was here, you know, motherfucker just walks in my house all the time like he owns it. <laughs> he walks in one morning and I just got in a delivery and it was Tactical Distributor sent me a little, a little gift box of things. And it was getting hot here. 
There's two pairs of shorts, the tiger stripe, which everyone knows is my favorite, and these wood one. And uh, Ethan walked in when I was opening the box, fixed himself a coffee like he owns the place. And um, said I felt bad. Like, I'm like, hey, Ethan, I got two pairs of shorts you want. I really didn't even want to give them to him. But he wears them every day. You guys see him in them? Yeah, like, with all no the underwear. time. Yeah, no underwear. And then I let him. Oh, he, really? Oh, I. Mm. Gross. But um, thank God they're camo then. But uh, so I was like, hey, you pick whichever ones you want. He picked Tiger Stripe. Asshole. So I have the wood one. It's cool, though. I'm bringing it back. Yeah. I made um, one. I made one's tight. Actually, everything I'm wearing right now was a gift. Like the rainbow flip-flops. Yep. That was, uh, I don't know, may, may, maybe one of our viewers. My panties, battle briefs. That's all that goes on this junk. And then these shorts, which are not the Neptunes, apparently. They're something else. And uh, this shirt. Yep. Maka hooked me up with this, Living and she life. was so mad. She sent it to work because she wanted to like surprise me. And then we were out of, out of town, oh, and right. Torsten had, had her open it. And <laughs> there was supposed to be a note included that told me how special I was. It wasn't there. She was very upset. <laughs> Tori kept it. Yeah, probably. Um, probably John. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, Jay, I don't know if you had met um, Dave before today. No. I had not. No. So this is is my longtime southern brother. Dave Kramer. Thomas. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. Settle the fuck down. <laughs> he's, pra- I can't, he's practicing dance moves for you guys when you're on stage. Yeah. He's got it's that flip around yeah, with the guitar. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. He's like adding twists. Dave, when, when did we meet? We must have met 2007 or 2008. I don't know. So, so, um, so, your background, when I met you, you had a company called Uber Group. Yes. And, and what was that all about? So, Uber Group was a sales rep group. Um, you have to leave this industry and go to the REI camping hiking world. When you live in that industry, every brand that you see in those stores has an independent rep group that manages a, a geographic territory. So, my rep group managed... The, the deep south, the redneck south. So Virginia down to the Keys and the Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean. Isn't it interesting when we were kids, like your college age, you're embarrassed you're from the south, and now it's like a badge of honor. I oh, love it. Totally. I love it that it came totally. full circle. Totally. The rednecks. Yeah. So Dave, um, to that, like didn't grow up in the gun industry yeah. like I did, but showing me pictures last night, this crazy mother, which he's so <laughs> conservative now, like such a, just a responsible Father and uh, cleverly disguised as a responsible adult. You know the movie Free Solo. Mm. So he didn't do it solo, right? But like he's climbed that, and he's showing me pictures last night. He was into ice climbing. Is that what the hell you call it? It's yeah. it's yep. it's ridiculously dumb. Yeah. Mm. Don't do that. That's what that's what Dave's life was. That's how he got into the REI stuff. Yep. That's it. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so uh, uh, he's showing Ivanka and I the pictures last night, and I was like, "Oh, we got to go do this ice climb." I'm like, "What the fuck is wrong yeah, with you?" No, we just like, up the road, like, Conway, New Hampshire. It's the mecca of ice climbing. Mm. Uh, I think Edgar Sherman went there. Yeah, good and for it, Edgar. Yeah, and it didn't look sick. Yeah, yeah. Jay and I, I'm, we're not built for this. Nah, that, it, I'll it, skate on the ice, but I'm not going to climb. Uh, it. I, well, I t- I, well, I'm not even doing that. That's dumb too. So uh, Ivanka's like, "Hey, we got to go do this." I was like, "What is wrong with you?" And it's like, "We're even going to dive with great whites without a cage." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not climbing some ice." I'll take cliff. ice climbing over shark diving. 
You take it. You got mm-hmm. it. I'll give you my portion. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, okay. So that's what David. So so it's a rep group yeah. that did all the outdoor yeah. stuff. So we had a portfolio of brands uh, that were in that in that arena were super popular. Like who? Um, the the biggest brand our, our anchor brand was Arcteryx. Never heard of it. And yeah, never heard of it. And then uh, Solomon, another small brand, um, uh, Petzl. Which is ice, uh, like uh, headlamps oh, yeah. and climbing gear. <laughs> uh, Sunto watches, which back in the day was super popular. Garmin eats their lunch these days. Oh, is that gone away? Because you know, I still ha- you gave me a Q blue one when we started, yep. and I still have it in the box in yeah. my closet. But now uh, it's lame. I, it's not. It's not that it's lame. It's more like um, to compare it metaphorically in this world, it would be some obscure. Brand that's really good, but it's it's an obscure, you know, one off brand by 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 today's standards. Given Garmin's you know dominance, multiple billions of dollars in multiple channels, uh, Sunto is is pretty small in the fitness and, and outdoor world. That's it. Whereas you know Garmin has boats and satellite stuff and all sorts of stuff. But but anyhow, so Arcteryx, Solomon, Sunto, Petzl, Mountain Khakis, Jetboil stoves, uh, they're up here. Uh, Nemo was another brand we did for a while, which is uh, another, another, um, a New Hampshire brand. Um, what are they? So, okay, this isn't Nemo, Nemo the gun company. No, it's the movie. Yeah. The, the, the small one gets lost and the, or the dad gets yeah, lost. Yeah. Dory goes out and yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nemo, Nemo, uh, equipment. So they're, uh, I want to say Cam went to the Rhode Island, uh, design school, oh, yeah, the fancy uh, RISD, stuff. I think. Yeah. Uh, but super, super talented designer and industrial design guy. And uh, they do tents, sleeping bags, all that oh. stuff. Oh, cool. So in, in back to bring it full circle, the Uber Group stuff, we represented those brands in the Deep South uh, from Florida to Virginia yeah, and Mississippi I, over. I remember your office, the warehouse, seeing the sleeping bags yep. and all. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you had that Australian brand of boots that were Blundstone, that's right. Oh, yeah. Those are cool. Those yeah. are popular now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah. You kids. I don't have them. Different but generation popular. here. But they, they were cool. I liked them then. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Slip, I'm all about the slip-ons, probably because I'm old. They are quite convenient. Yeah. Even uh, more convenient than Velcro shoes. Hmm. <laughs> have those come back yet? Are you kids I know into some, Velcro? I bought some uh, Velcro football cleats for Davis the other day. Yeah. For real? Yeah. yeah. Vance has a Velcro model, too. Yeah, but you never know with the skate stuffs because sometimes they're on the fringe and do yeah. a lot of weird shit. I don't yeah. know if it's cool or not. I had and a Vel- I'm too old Velcro to be wallet. It's probably vintage. Oh. <laughs> old OP. <bastard. laughs> well, um, okay. Well, you did that, and um, so, so that's the first decade or whatever I knew you. So, but explain as much as you're willing to the transition because then I met you probably when you guys started doing all the stuff yep. and transition just from outdoor adventure life to, yep. to, yeah. So, so yeah, the outdoor portion of my adult career started in 90 and then in 99, I left retail. I worked at a store in Atlanta selling, you know, backpacks and whatnot. Started the rep group back then. It was just David Kramer and then it became David Kramer and associates. And then, then we grew it into the actual Uber group. But in, I think it was 2004, uh, the military came to my trade show, which was the outdoor retailer show, which is technically happening right now in uh, in Denver. It used to be oh, in it? yeah, it used to be in Salt Lake City, but 
Um, Wait, what's it called? Outdoor Retailer. It's like Shot oh, Show, Shot Show for Canada. Yeah. What's interesting there, and uh, this is one of the interruptions Tommy warned you about. Um, and the one guy that leaves messages on our thing, like, screw you. I'll interrupt when I want. <laughs> um, is because, you know, after 9 11, we're actually going in to war and going to the mountains, chasing people. I mean, people have read, you know, the. You know McPhee's character Shrek yep. and to, yep. to kill Bin Laden, where they go in the Hindu Kush. So they went from using just uh, uh, like I don't know, like combat stuff that the army provided into we have to be as uh, you know efficient as possible in these mountain environments, climbing mountains. So they got into very technical gear, hiking yep. boots, like all the tier one groups, like they were wearing hiking boots. Oh, yeah. for at least that ten or twelve years. Yes, yeah. So in Oh four maybe uh, they they special operations came to our trade show and that biz, the business of outdoor because it's regionally based. If you walked up in your in your badge said North Carolina the the person at the front of the booth would be like oh you're in North Carolina well Dave is our guy in North Carolina and because you had all the East Coast seals are in Virginia yeah my territory. All the Marine Corps Special Operations is in North Carolina, my territory. Army, Army Special Operations, North Carolina. Rangers Georgia. are in Georgia. Uh, and AFSOC, Air Force Special yeah, Operations Florida, in Florida. Florida. Yeah. So so I was in a geographically rich environment. Um, yeah, to make, for Special Operations, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And those guys had the budget, and they had the flexibility to buy outside of army programs yeah so it was so i was in the right place at the right time and i had cool stuff well just having the cool stuff but well how did you get these brands let's say arteryx and solomon because you're repping them yep so you're supporting these guys and then like they always do because they have the money Mm -hmm. and you know experience and they're the ones doing the stuff they want specialty items how did you get these big companies to do things specifically for these guys, like things that, and I'm probably speaking out of pocket, no, but no. the high top Solomon's, yep. a bunch of the Arteryx gear, <laughs> like it becomes specialized for, you know, a crossover from this like technical yep. outdoor world, yep. hiking, mountain climbing to that stuff, but for special operations. How's that happening? Uh, it was a lot of, a uh, lot of fighting. Uh, to push brands well outside of their normal zone and to work with them on somebody else's timelines and financial constraints, um, all the, you know, the contracting stuff. So I had to learn a new language and a new business model and go to different trade shows and part partner up with companies who had the necessary means to be able to transact with the government. So as you as you well know, sometimes you can do a direct sale yeah. to a, to an organization, and then other times the the color of the money means you two and I, you know, we're talking, but he's actually who you're buying from, and so now it becomes this triangle of of uh, organizations: the vendor, the end consumer, and then the government well, contracting. I, I think this is something from my relationship and knowing you it, it's like where it's so important the relationship aspect yeah. of dealing with those guys and the and the care and concern and not just being business 
because oftentimes what you're describing is very convoluted from a business perspective. Oh yeah. But for me, I'm like, I'm just so impressed you're able to get, you know, especially a foreign company to participate and start doing like, how did it speak to you that you wanted to go through all the trouble to support those guys? Cause I know it had to be a pain in the ass. I mean, not with those guys, but getting these companies that are larger companies to, hey, this is just a handful of guys. It's not Big Army or Big Socom, right. and you're not going to make 10,000 of these, but it's important. Why? I think I was always uh, impressed from my climbing days. Do you ever go to Mount Yona up in North Georgia? Yeah. That's where the, the rangers yeah. do their mountain training. And like I was in high school. Uh, going up there rock climbing, and you'd see these guys doing this and knowing they were sleeping. It's funny, up there in Tacoa, even yeah. at the beginning of Band right. of Brothers, right. David Swimmer, they're exactly running them right. up after the yeah. spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so you, I'm. You could see it from my farm, yeah. the back porch. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I think I always had a, uh, a, an appreciation for somebody doing something that I never did. Volunteered, uh, you know, here's the blank check in my life, you know. Roger that, Sarge, and I'm going to go do what you tell me to do. I never did that. I was into rock climbing and whitewater paddling and backcountry skiing and all this sort of stuff. So for me, it was like, man, this guy made life choices that I never made um, and appreciate that. But the the funniest thing was the vendors, uh, you know, pushing a, a square peg into a round hole, a foreign vendor. Solomon was the funniest. You know, here you have a French ski company that started oh. making footwear and uh by and large the culture within uh solomon they would go uh i'll use my best french impression they would go uh we like the aesthetic uh, we want to add some pop uh and so we put uh an accent color and we do the reflective and i'm like no 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 Ta pretty, take everything yeah. take everything off and they would go it is not possible and i'm like not possible to paint <laughs> something what yeah. like this doesn't not possible in french means not now but um and so i you know i just basically forced forced and forced and i will say that the some of the success that we had it was it was hugh and, and stacy the folks that worked with me at uber um to get some of that going was with solomon um they had you have to go back into the, the late 90s. Nobody was wearing boots. It was all tennis shoes. Early 2000s, yeah, it was all yeah, tennis shoes. I remember shoes. when the high yeah, tops the Adidas, so, Adidas stuff. Yeah, big yeah. time. So Solomon was part of the Adidas group. Oh, okay. And when I started, that's where they were. So you, we would go to Portland to the Adidas complex. Super cool place. Um, but uh, at that point, it was all basically athletic shoes you know, trail shoes or whatever you want to call them, tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. And so they, they made a boot called the quest, um, which today is still the boot that is worn in special operations. And they made it in two colors worldwide. So what they call the global distribution. So there was an orange is orange as the Q orange. And then there was gray and the gray one was just basic enough that anybody could, you know, it could pass muster to a, a Sergeant major. Well, Solomon didn't have enough volume of business in the States to do both. So they arranged gray, excuse me, they arranged orange. And every one of our mutual customers was like, what are you doing? And so I got this guy, Terry Hunt at RPT Tactical 
to buy the the whatever the minimum requirements 500 pair of boots he was like if you're telling me that those guys down the street and the guys down in north carolina would buy them i'll do it i'll i'll take the risk so he bought 500 pair and solomon hadn't sold 500 pair of boots in a long time and they were like what just happened we got a po for 500 pair they went like that and then he bought another fifteen hundred pairs. So, so did these go to the guys? Or yeah. The, okay. Yeah. This all went. Uh, yeah. So for a lot of a lot of people listening, um, oh, I don't I don't know what you call them, like tip of the spear, but what's popular one. with you kids now? Tier so one tier, units, tier yeah. one. So all the classified groups. A lot of times the purchases go through like third party. So and it's it's intentional. So the manufacturer doesn't even know where it, the product is going. And so it happens a fair amount. So it might be, you know, Terry's Gun and Pawn is buying the stuff for the most elite dudes in the entire yep. world. And anything from sunglasses to boots to yep. guns to ammo, anything. Yep. Yeah, so success in that boot laid the foundation for what later oh, became okay. so, Solomon Forces. So it was... Um, a boot that was being offered commercially and they started doing yep. that and they bought enough to where then they would listen yep. to do. And then I said, tick off the accent, <laughs> no reflective, yeah. you know, and that became, and then uh, the Rangers adopted it and, I didn't know that. and NSW on the, uh, I knew they on did. the pipeline side. Yeah. So a guy would go through, he's probably watched, you know, like hell week and all that guy would go through hell week and then go after they make it through buds, they go to, to Kodiak, Alaska, and they do SEAL qualification training, SQT. Phase one is in Alaska. And when they get there, they've got this big pallet of gear called a Gaylord, and it's got everything in it. It is like you went shopping at REI, and you got body armor, and you got sleeping bags, and tents, and bivy sacks, and you know stoves, and everything that you need to perform as a SEAL. And uh, in that was in what's called the Pepsi kit, was a a pair of Solomons and uh and that was that took some uh some gymnastics of contracting to get a French company that boot was made in a non-friendly country according to U.S. contracting law and so it had to be bought through a nib niche um National Institute for the Blind National Institute for the Severely Handicapped contract I mean here's one that'll make your blood boil as a taxpayer. So that's so, so, so that Solomon boot was like 225 the, bucks at the, REI. The group that's asked to go do the most impossible things in the world and risk their lives. Can't get the fucking boots. They totally. Want. Totally. <laughs> so they would buy it through Welcome to America, through a, 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 a contract that had less restrictions but by the time you get it through all these contracts, you know, these, these people don't work for free, so everybody marks it up. So now you're talking $400 boots that you could just go down the street and buy for 225 or order them up on tacticaldistributors.com at 225 and probably yeah. there's a coupon code. Unpossible. Unpossible 15, 15, right, yeah. yeah. So the government could get them way cheaper from, with a Q discount code than, uh, than going the nib niche route for the same boot. Oh, it's infuriating. Yeah. It's as a taxpayer, you're appalled. But as a business guy, you're like, hey, uh, I'm going to solve this problem somehow. And it requires this. Yeah, I think it bothered us more than them because in my dealings with those organizations, <laughs> they understood yeah. that they understood it all. So they're like, we don't care. 
And that's probably maybe in some degree where the $800 hammer toilet right. seat shit comes yep. from. It's not that it's a scam. Oftentimes, mm. I think by the liberal left thinking it's like, you know, Dick Cheney getting becoming a billionaire. <laughs> it's because of all these uh, like liberal fucking politicians you work or that you elect to hire or uh, sorry, that you elect to to, you know, protect you. Com- they come up with all this bullshit yeah. that has a butterfly effect that ends up costing so much money to do something so simple. Yep. It's infuriating. It's embarrassing. Like, we should do America better than we do. Like, it's just getting embarrassing. Free markets would probably work. Yeah, amazing how that works, huh? <laughs> like, hey, starving to death sucks. You mean I have the opportunity to have a better life? Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So Okay, so, so that's kind of how it yeah, happens, and it makes total it. sense. I mean, from my perspective... And it was, I mean, it was crazy for me, a kid that, you know, grew up in Georgia, rock climbing and whitewater paddling all over the place. I'm like, wait a minute, you're a a real live army ranger or a Navy SEAL or what? Like, this is cool as can be. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was uh, way, it was also really nice to be with people, the end user versus, you know, going through a transactional business relationship uh, where it's like, oh, well, your margin on this one is not as good as the guy that sells us the competing one. And so we're going to go with his, you know, these guys are like, hey, that's we tested five different boots. We love that boot. How do we get it? Like, yeah, direct feedback. And it's a thing where, okay, so the average this is what I run into and probably some of my arrogant attitude online, even with some of our customers. Well, I could get blah, blah, blah for this much less. And when you deal with the guys when their lives, because, you know, you appreciate every customer. Like the guy who buys a gun to post pictures on Instagram to say how cool we are. Thank you very much. Like the shit that we do costs money. I appreciate you spending some of yours with us. But the guy who is like, hey, I'm going here to do this and risk my life to kill this terrorist. Yeah, his vote means a little more to me. I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. But it is interesting. And then. Like the idea that you you rep a product, which I do now, and what Mm -hmm. you do now, which you deal with both of those things. Mm -hmm. And always the big asshole that that thinks he should have the biggest voice is the guy who, yeah, yeah, just wants to go to the range with it, which is cool. Yeah. But it is, um, yeah, it's been an interesting career. Like our time in dealing with those organizations. Well, okay, so... Before I get off track. So what happens with Uber Group? So Uber Group uh, continues to grow and grow, and that government business gets quite significant. Um, Amher Sports is a publicly traded company that owned three of the brands I represented. I started with each of those brands before they were a part of, of Amher, at least two of them. So Arcteryx, I was there when they were privately held, and then... Solomon Adidas bought them. Uh, and then I was also happened to be working with representing Solomon uh, in Sunto. So Amher Sports owned all three of those. And they had a process. Uh, I think it was called Project Straight Arrow or Project Arrow or something. And they needed to bring their go-to-market sales process all in-house. So instead of having outsourced sales reps, they brought everybody in they bought our company, and so I went from being Uber Group 
all I did was change an email to Amher Sports. I went in-house. Um, like we were talking about last night, it's the first time I realized in my life that culture had a price. And the culture at Uber Group was very much like yeah, here. Yeah, it was like you. It was great. Super fun, super you. creative. Mm-hmm. Um, very lax. Jay would fit in good there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I went to work in Amher. And they had some, um, some, it was very, I was not a great fit internally there. I was, it was a great fit when they were my client as I was representing them to their customers. Uh, but, but internally I didn't, I didn't fit well. Isn't it amazing when they want to buy you because of what you've accomplished, but then they buy you and they want to change you to them when they couldn't do what you were doing. It's amazing when they're so much smarter than you. It, um, I had I had spent 10, 12 years getting um, everything situated, developing relationships to be able to fulfill large contracts with it, large contracts relative uh, to the special operations units that we were selling to. And they made some, they, the parent company made a decision that, hey, we're not going to be able to do, to pursue these uh, like we had thought. And at that point, uh, they they not only did uh, did my value with Tom Smith's old organization and Lou's old organization yeah. and Clement's old organization, um, I couldn't utilize my my value. And then as well, they didn't want to mash the gas and develop products for customers like Tactical Distributors and OP Tac and US Elite Gear and these other guys that just want to sell Arcteryx, no matter if it's got multicam or, or if it's for skiing and hiking, but they want to sell it to, to the culture that, that is here, represented here. So they didn't want to pursue either of those two avenues, which are the two avenues I could, I could dominate in. And uh, so I left. Hmm. And I got linked up with... Sometimes uh, it's hard, but it's the best thing. Yeah. You got linked up. A small little company in your world called Magpul. Yeah. I know. <laughs> who's that? Never heard of her. Yeah, who's that? <laughs> you know what's so funny was um, years ago, and there's probably no, well, there's probably no one there that was there other than Drake, and he probably doesn't know this, but I was helping connect a deal years ago to sell Magpul for $10 million. Whoa. I, I was, I'm I was glad the, they didn't do it because yeah, now I'm here. So were they. <laughs> but, um, you know, they were a young company, and uh, I knew the interested party, and the owners at the time were interested potentially in selling it. And so I was the go-between for a couple months on that. That would have been a steal, huh? Maybe. I mean, now, yeah. But, but then knows? also, what would have, yeah, what could it have yep. turned into? Yeah. You know, yeah. So. You go to uh, Magpul. So, what year was this? It was. Uh, I started in 2017. Uh, in the in the interim time that I'm uh, losing, you know, engine failure or whatever, I'm losing gas in the engine at my new place. Uh, Magpul uh, rings the phone, and uh, probably where I realized, going back to the culture statement, that uh, culturally. Uh, it was a great fit for me. And so privately held, Pro 2A, obviously dealing with many of the same customers, even though Magpul's 
transcended not just selling into the military but into the civilian markets uh still has a very strong uh, program and yeah it was a great uh, great 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 transition for me and that's where i am today so it's been awesome so when you went there um you went there and you guys did clothes originally yep yeah so so they had started doing clothing when richard the founder uh was was uh, still involved in the day-to-day and they had you know they had done some early stuff. I want to say it was probably 2014. They started doing some clothing, you know, lots of range polos and all these things. Like, what does a Magpul customer wear? It'd probably be like, well, what does a Q customer wear? Well, yeah, that's, that's a 60-year-old guy, and it's also a 24-year-old guy. They don't wear the same thing. It's hard to define. Clothing is hard, challenging to define what that customer looks like when they're, when they're fairly broad. So, so, unfortunately, the clothing piece... Um, was fairly short-lived um but yeah i'm i'm uh thankfully i have have value beyond just being able to sell some shirts and pants and whatnot and uh and yeah work uh i'm able to utilize the skills from my retail days and my wholesale you know rep days and help spearhead a a big program there but i am responsible for all the non-gun accessories so all the t-shirts and hats and the daca pouches these things you send me yes which i'm not gonna lie the first time you told me about them you sent them to me i'm like what the hell is that for (laughs) and now these i I told you i brought these down from my latest trip we just got back from a trip um to virginia and this is a daca pouch yep so this is so you can like uh use carabiner or zip tie whatever to something else so you don't lose it these clear ones are awesome so i have all the sling attachment stuff in here these are actually just ones I haven't even unpacked them from the trip. So I keep my different slings in here because I have different slings and setups for different guns. My spare micro optic. So yep. I've got a Delta. So I have the EOTech on the gun. I have the Delta Point Pro as a as a backup or to, to swap it out if somebody yep. wants to see that. My gloves if we do super high rate of fire stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got gloves and a rag in that one, and this one. I have all my eight six ammo. Nice, and it's all in Ziplocs from Ethan, and it's labeled like what barrel length the subsonic is for and the different projectile. So that's a DACA pouch. You yep. guys have them in all kinds of sizes, yep. and you have what do you call this? Where it like expands the vo- volume pouch. The, yep. Yeah, exactly what I would have called it. Yep. Yep. Volume pouch. Um, those things are awesome. Yeah. So but I it, I run. All the the parts that are not attached to a gun, I'm I'm responsible for that. So I wear DACA, hats, gloves, t-shirts, belts, um, that sort of of uh, product that doesn't attach to a gun. So yeah. Drake, who you've known for a bazillion years, yeah, yeah, uh, he's got all the on-gun accessories. And then Trey, I don't know if you've met him. Trey, Trey does mm. Trey's team uh, heads all spearheads all the efforts for. Both foreign and domestic military and law enforcement sales. Oh yeah, I don't know that I know him. Yeah, super yeah, good guy. Drake. When I met Drake, it was a small company. Magpul is, is about started really kind of take off the same timeline as Advanced yeah. Arm, my yeah. old company. And so yeah. I was friends with Mike and Rich, and and you know Magpul probably had ten employees. Right. And Drake came on like a year or so after. I, I was close with him, and Drake was still a part time cop in like yes. Oakland or yes. somewhere. Um, for a couple of years yep. before he transitioned full time. Um, yeah, those were the old days. I remember those days 
so my very first, maybe it was my second shot show. It was st- when it was still down at uh, Orlando. You know, oh, every yeah. other year in yeah. Orlando. That's a while back. I remember, like you would walk the halls, and it felt like, generally speaking, it felt like your granddad's gun show. Oh, it was horrible. Until you got to either Magpul or AAC, and then it was like it's the skate park, like. Yeah. The dudes are here, and this is where the fun is obviously happening. Yeah. And man, I would I would credit both brands, not because I work for one and I'm friends with the other, but uh, like you guys had the culture, and it was it was super innovation and creativity and fun. Yeah, man, it was crazy. And I remember that's when I met you and Drake and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, what a what yeah. a fun time! It's interesting. I, I don't I don't know our uh, our companies were kind of like yeah, I don't know brothers or stepbrothers, kind of like the movie. But it really was different and yeah. fun, and we had a different approach and wanted to do different things. And yeah. I mean, I remember it seems like a decade when Magpul was around before even the PMAG came out. I remember when the PMAG came out. There's no way. Yeah, I the first time I heard of it, I it, I got out of school. I went to the police department that my mom works at, and one of the sergeants there was like, come look at this. And he showed me a video of them, like, running it over with a truck and all this stuff. He's like, this is insane. Oh, sh- sh- hand me that mag, would you? So this this is interesting. Um, early on when we got uh, the Navy, we were working with them on 300 Blackout. So I think they did this mag, if I'm not mistaken, for the Brits for the, the bullpup contract yes. thing. And so... Um, what's this called? The EMAG. The E-Mag. Yeah. So this, maybe this came out a little after, about the same time, but this one's marked 300 Blackout. So the original 300 Blackout we were doing 308 bullets till we designed like the Barnes 110 and um, uh, different projectiles that are correct job. But if you use original 308, you, these front ribs, and the reason we use the PMAG is because yep. At the time, the customer was using aluminum mags, but my father, with a wood chisel, chiseled out half of that front rib so that it would the bullets would sit in here and feed properly yep. using a 308 bullet. And so we lasered them all 300 blackout. So that's one of uh, one of the original mags. But yeah, that it, it, it's funny because the plastic plastic mag had been done by like Thermold back right. in when I got into guns in the early nineties and stuff and they were considered junk and they failed. And when, when, I mean, that, that's just a huge, huge compliment to, to Mike Mabry and, uh, rich yep. It started Magpul that yep. they, you know, were making some money and they decided to do this. I thought it was a stupid move. I'm like, how wrong was I? Yeah. Like a billion dollars later. <laughs> um, so it's, it's pretty cool to see. To tie our, our worlds together, so my, uh, I was going into um, work with, with some of the SEALs, and this guy, Drake, was coming in with me, and uh, that's when I first met him, and so we're in one of the team rooms, um, and, and, and I've got all my shoes and all my junk laid out, and Drake's got a PMAG, and... Uh, and they were there to talk about the standard PMAG wouldn't fit in their current gun, the HK416. Yeah, and it's because of the uh, the geometry on the outside. And so oh, Drake, Drake yeah. right, exactly. So Drake was there to basically be like, 
is there enough business to do it? And there wasn't enough just within the special mission units, but there was because it could be used with the Brits gun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, that was, but it was also during the time when 300 blackout was being developed. So I remember like all these, all these cool guy companies, AAC, Magpul, I guess the stuff that I was working with, yeah, you know, we're all, we're all in the same, uh, in the same recipe, you know, of, of end users at the, in the special operations world. And that was, that was for this civilian, that was magical to be, to walk into those places and be like, this is badass. Yeah. I mean, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible time. And I think it was a, a time that, you know, isn't going to be repeated anytime soon to where there were certain vendors where you're doing technical aspects that were giving direct we were given direct access to the end user, oh, yeah. like to the guys, which normally, you know, you deal with their handlers. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, yeah, we were spoiled. It was an interesting time. And, yeah. you know. Magpul. Yeah. Okay. So the Magpul stuff, all the yep. things you do and the yep. things, blah, blah, blah. Well, it was great having you, Dave. <laughs> See you next time. Um, well, there's another organization that he has a hand in. Yeah. So the most the tie-in that I want to use to Dave Kramer, Dave Kramer Associates, Uber Group, Magpul. <laughs> Magpul. Is, yeah, the origins of something that I really want to talk to you about. Yeah. That I think is, I'm not sure if you live a thousand years, you do something more valuable than what you're doing. As your side gig. Yep. So, so Kathy's your wife. Kathy's the wife. Lovely bride. And, uh, yeah, your side chick is a, is a little thing called Sokka. Yep. And that started, probably the origins, the way I understand it, is when you lost a friend that was part of one of these special operations groups. Yes. Yep. And Magpul was a part of that. Yeah, crazy, crazy uh, tying parts of my life together. So, uh Brett Shadle, uh, Shady, from Shady, from uh, the SEAL teams, died in a parachuting accident, and uh, four months before he died, I received three cases of PMAGs from uh, a friend they at at Magpul. So John, I guess they didn't give them all out at a trade show, and they were they were already out of inventory. So he sent me three cases. So you had been to my old office, and I, I mean, it was a small area. So three cases of PMAX took up a lot of room. So uh, Shady died. He happened to die on Good Friday. And he was he a guy that you dealt with directly on yes. some of the... Yeah, so uh, the way that that, that organization's um, teams are broken up or squadrons, they each give guys within the squadrons kind of some, some leeway into the, the gear. So you might have a guy that uh, uh, our mutual friend Wally was from the same squadron, and Wally was kind of the the, the gun guy for that for yeah. that group, and uh, and Shady was kind of the clothing guy. Um, they all poured into it. These are just guys who have a natural propensity for for gear, and so Shady and I knew each other, and probably like any business transaction, it starts off as. I'm the guy you need to talk to about shoes and jackets. You're the guy that buys shoes and jackets. And then eventually it just kind of morphs and you got to hang out and 
go grab dinner and then, Hey, why don't you come over? It's my daughter's, you know, birthday and, you know, crazy things yeah, like become that. Friends. Yeah, yeah. Which was a great thing about these organizations yep. over other big army or government organizations is yeah. that oftentimes, more often than not, it, it's a guy who's actually on one of the teams is the guy you deal with. Yep. He's the guy that's looking into things, buying things, you know, for whatever aspect of the work they're doing. Yep. So Shady was that guy yeah. at at that squadron for me. And uh, he he perished in a, in a tragic accident. And the Monday that I came back to work, I was sitting there in my office and I had a picture. I had my this uh, cool, I called the Wall of Dudes. Just the guys would send me pictures of them overseas wearing my stuff, which was always cool to me. Super cool. A connection. Yeah. And so there he was in this Chinook helicopter and he had taken his helmet off and his hair was crazy and he had a this is back when they didn't have the grooming standards so he had a huge beard and I made a stencil and I put it on the the P mag and I called it the Shady Mag and since he was in Red Squadron I painted it red and it was it took me all day to do the uh the artwork I guess and uh you know a few weeks later we had uh, the memorial for him and they got auctioned off and Guys like Caleb uh, cry. Um, it touched a nerve, and we had ten of those things, and five of them sold for fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, j- just a basic yeah. stupid PMAG. Yeah. yeah, a fifteen dollar with a spray paint stencil with, with a, of his face yeah. on it. Uh, and unlike you, I'm not an artist. It looked like a four year old. No, made that's this, bullshit. Made I, stencil. You, I have one, and it looks great. I can tell it's him. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so, so I had 290 left, and I called uh, some of your employees back when you still owned AAC, John Hollister, mm-hmm. and I said, Hollister, I understand you guys have a laser. Can you laser? Can you have somebody digitize this this image, and then can you laser 290 of them? And he's like, Yeah, we got it. So, so AAC did 290 of them. And we sold those. Uh, I I talked to Todd at TD, uh, Jeff uh, from um, Blue Ridge Mountain Sports, and he owned a, a different company uh, that that sold into the to the teams as well. And then GSS, and they sold these extra two hundred ninety mags for a hundred bucks each. And so now we had a bunch of money to give the family and we needed a vehicle to do it using government language yeah and uh yeah then after that after we kind of figured out how to get the money to them that's when griff griffin dave money cannon reynolds and myself stood up the special operations care fund so so griff's an attorney because you got to have one of those because otherwise you get screwed even doing (laughs) a good thing (laughs) yeah and a couple other good just individuals. Yeah. So you started the Special Operations Care yeah. Fund. What year was this? So we, we did our first event in 2014, but we incorporated as an LLC and filed for um, whatever, 501c3 status in 2013. But we'll, we'll just say 2014 is when we got started. Okay. So SOCF, Special Operations Care Fund. Yeah. What, what's, um, what's the purpose? So we we use the term we fill in the gaps of coverage for the the special operations military folks and that money really really goes into one of two big what we call buckets the first bucket is is healthcare issues that are unresolved uh, 
typically they are traumatic brain injury uh, or addiction. And then we also uh, have family. Uh, the other bucket is family, and that's typically gold star kids, so kids yeah. that have lost a dad. Like Trap Skates. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So they employ gold star yeah. kids. Yeah. So. Well, well, let me ask you this. So tying this back into wrestling. Yeah. You know, Ivanka, when she was watching it, you know, and, like, understood enough, she's never really watched it in America, but that wrestling was, like, predetermined or fake. Right. But never never really (laughs) But thought about, you know, it's actual physical activity, and they all are incredibly injured, and they work every day, and so they all become addicted to alcohol and painkillers. Yep. Is that most of the addiction that you see with special operations? Is it alcohol, painkillers, or is it? everything yeah i mean it's um it's a it's a fairly broad spectrum but alcohol is is the probably the number one culprit then pain pills is number two yeah you think the alcohol is from you know just the psychological stuff that they deal with or is most of it pain because we were talking you know even before the podcast and like every one of those guys could get a medical retirement yeah like there's no way you're doing that job and to maturity and not physically injured well we also talked to the the gbrs guys and like i feel like the the pain pill side of it probably is not is more of an unintentional dependency yep um whereas alcohol may be a different thing but i feel like they just like you said they're all beat up all the time so they're doing what they, they're prescribed the stuff to just get through the day and then right. eventually they build that dependency but yes yeah if they if they all you know if they're all jumping out of airplanes i mean one hard landing or one hard landing in a helicopter, which you know nothing about because you're fixed wing. Right, I'm a fixed wing guy. Um, you know, you got spinal problems yep. forever, hip yep, problems. Right. Yeah, so I think when you look at, and it doesn't matter if you're talking AFSOC or NAVSOC or Army Special Operations, the, these guys typically are hard-charging alpha males. Uh, they, they, they tend to party hard. And they take pride in that, you know, they don't, you know, no one's like high five and that you're the first guy leaving the party. You know, it's right. usually we shut this place down and then two hours later we were in formation rucking, you know, yeah. like that's, it's a pretty common thing. Um, so I think the alcohol piece is probably a cultural piece. And then uh, the pain pills are prescribed for chronic pain. Yeah. And then it becomes uh, an, an awful addiction no matter what skin it wears it's awful whether it's alcohol opiates prescription pain pills or whatever one thing that i you well maybe it was off air we kind of touched on it a while ago but there seems to be this um connection between all these tier one guys with a lot of them getting cancer oh huge that seems to be like that's something that i don't know why it hasn't been looked at but it seems to be affecting a lot of these guys yeah. Yeah, I wonder why there's not. I mean, it's, you know, maybe it's one of those things like we want to be ignorant to it. I, 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 don't, I mean, you know, it, it is such a difficult thing and it's so heartbreaking because, I mean, I know you and I probably know a dozen or more guys that, you know, under 50 have died from cancer in right. those groups. And, yeah, I, I mean, if you know what it is, then you got to address it. And we, we call on, like, as a nation, a very small group of guys. I mean, we have a huge military, obviously, but a small group of guys to do, you know, I mean, the real tough work that an individual has to do. And, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I 
there's not the same pers- uh, percentage in infantry. Right. So it can't just be, you know, small arms, fire, yeah. whatever. I mean, the guys are just exposed to right. a, a lot of stuff that clearly is unhealthy. Yeah. yeah it's strange. I, yeah. I mean, I I don't know the answer. Right. I don't even anecdotally think that there's a direction that you can point to. I do know the fact that uh, back in the early days – when when uh, when we would turn on the news and exit strategy in Iraq, this is two thousand six, two thousand eight. That was the big topic every day. What's the exit strategy? And that was when the Stan McChrystal machine was rolling in Iraq. Those guys were given all sorts of pills to eat to help them go go go, and pills to you know make them yeah. sleep sleep sleep, and everything in between, and you know. I've, one of our f- mutual friends and that says, you know, there's a reason the army doesn't uh, test for steroids. I was like, well, oh. he's like, they don't want to know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another oh, thing okay. with wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them die before right. they're 50. Just like heart skip out. And yeah. uh, steroids or heart yeah, skip like out. Internally yeah. beating themselves up. Yeah. Well, didn't yeah. Tom Smith say that it was uh, like the lead from like the flashbangs? Like they would like clear room and then it would be the lead just yeah, sitting. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I mean, realistically, the answer is probably like most things, even with business, it's a culmination of all yeah. these things. 50 yeah. factors. Yeah, because I mean, even with the small arm stuff, you know, like guys at one of these units, they shoot 50,000 rounds a year through their handguns. Right. And yeah. then even things out like walking around with a Thor or a Balder or whatever, like the jammers for IEDs, like, hey, what do you think that's yeah. shooting out? And it's on your back. Like, my teeth hurt thinking about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and, I, you know, and I, I bet even in retrospect, there's none of these guys that would have changed anything. So no. I don't know. Like, it's it, it's interesting. What, what um, are you guys having success with the rehabilitation? Yeah, so we, we, we really fund a couple of different modalities for traumatic brain injury. And when you oftentimes speak of TBI, it is typically made more complex because typically those guys also have post-traumatic stress. Whether they can say, yeah, 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 I got it, or no, 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 no. I mean, the the humanity part of them sees the worst in humanity. It's hard not to think that all these guys don't have some level of PTS as well. But So when we're, when we're treating TBI, we do a number of different treatments. And uh, right now we, we have this kind of experiment. We're actually going to fund a research project right now. It's, it's going to take awesome. about two years. It's so cool. Um, but we, we found uh, through some guys up in, up in Virginia Beach uh, this thing called Magnetic Electroresonance Therapy, MERT, um, where they strap this little contraption on. They take all the, you know, the markers to understand where your brain, what is it, brain neuro... neuro Neuromarkers. I can't keep it all straight, but yeah. they take a basically an EEG and figure out where your what your brain's doing um, after, let's just say, twenty years of of working at night, vampire hours, eating lots of of Lunesta to fall asleep, drinking lots of monsters and Red Bulls to wake up, um, eating thousands of blast charges uh, to breach doors and walls firing the Gustav, whatever, just a, a career of that. So these guys typically have a, a haywire EEG 
and so they as they put this this machine on and it and it remaps their path their neuro pathways um, the guys tend to, to tell us that what they generally feel is the fog is lifted like you can you can see what they're talking about because a lot of times you'll ask them a question and you can you know they hear you because they nod but the processor yeah, like it's to, just the, the pinwheels going I it's like watching joe biden and uh <laughs> you know sorry i shouldn't have said that but but uh no i think it's a perfect <laughs> illustration yeah. so so yeah these these guys talk about the the fog lifts they don't feel like they need to take you know a, a healthy drink before they go to sleep to take the um to knock them out uh, they also tend to not have the the agitation, emotional agitation. Um, a lot of them will tell you, like anecdotally, like I can't drive with my wife because I'm like, Ugh! right? Like, it's like, dude, just she's just driving, you know. But so, so yeah, it's a it's an impressive piece. So, so we we've, we've been funding that, and uh, Wally, our mutual friend, in, in uh, now in Nashville. His organization, Tomahawk and SOC F, funded through 2022. As many guys from the special operations units can go through this for free. We've we've already prepaid it. So I, I think I saw a video of Tom Satterley doing it. I want to say it's the same thing. He had some stuff on. He was an army guy. Did, yep. Had some stuff on his head, um, and he was kind of documenting the process through. It. I'm yep. not sure if it's the same thing, but it sounds the, similar. Yeah, I think there there are two different, very similar, you know, um, neuro neuro things i'm not sure which one tom did i I know who he is yes um but then uh we also found that the uh former dev group guy uh we've started fund his thing called the warrior health foundation and that's that's doing hormone replacement therapy so guys get out same deal they've eaten charges and working vampire hours and eating lunesta and you know this this big mess of uh of TBI and PTS coupled together, but their endocrine system is completely out of whack. So they, they way overproduce cortisol. They produce virtually no melatonin. Their uh, hormones or testosterone and estrogen levels are completely out of whack for a normal functioning, let's say 45 year old male. And so they, they do these blood markers and they understand what, what should be the, the normal and we fund that so that those guys get their endocrine system working uh, much, much more in a normal zone. So That's awesome. That is wonderful. And you guys do uh, stuff for Gold Star Kids, yep. marriage counseling. Yep. yep. So it's like alcoholism, drug, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. All if it's going to generally rip apart a family or a human being, we, we address it. That's awesome. That's the... Uh, Southern gentleman in him. Yeah. He's caring about yeah. things that matter. Well, okay. So here's the fascinating thing to me. And, you know, it's like we used to be, before you guys were stood up, advanced armament. We would raise and donate a bunch of money to Wounded Warrior. It turned yep. into a big business, which has done a lot of great things and awareness. Sure. And, um, but for, for you, you still have a job because... Sock F doesn't pay you or Griff or anybody else, correct? Correct. Yeah, we uh, we're all volunteer run, so we've got six excuse me seven folks on the board. None of us take a salary. Uh, we warehouse everything in my basement, uh, and sometimes my garage, depending on how full my basement is. Um, our you know Griff on the board is an attorney, so he his firm 
basically underwrites all of any legal things. You know, if we're going to do a, a not a raffle, not uh, a raffle, right, sweepstakes. right, a sweepstakes. Yeah, you know, like they make sure that we stay within legal bounds. So that's saves us, you know, attorneys' fees, you know, thousands yeah, which, of dollars. Yeah, probably a hundred grand a year right. or something. We have a, a friend of the organization that does our accounting for us. He's a Ernst and Young partner, and you know, so he. He takes care of keeping our taxes. So we, we, you know, we do have expenses. We have to pay for insurance and pay to upkeep, a, you know, and maintain a website. And, um, you know, when we host an event, we have to pay for catering if we can't get it, you know, can't get it given for free. But yeah, well, I, I, but none I, of us take a salary. Well, I want to stop you there because even that could seem like, oh, you know, like big business, they're doing things. And so you, you um, I don't even know if you're willing to talk about it. There was just an event. That uh, I was at, you had 54, 52 special operations yep. guys, active or retired, yep. that you guys contribute to yep. there. That's pretty interesting in and of itself. Like, yeah. I've never been to any other charity event where there's that much of the crowd or guys you're supporting. You yep. know, they have, like, the one, the one guy that right. lost his sight or whatever, give a speech, but... It's not who the crowd is. So this is the crowd, a oh, lot yeah. of it, and their families. But like, what did that have? So you guys hosted a country club outside of Atlanta. Yep. I went to it. What that event like cost you guys? The bill for that thing, all in for all the hotel rooms, uh, the food and beverages, all the clays and everything. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, I think it's probably two hundred thousand bucks. Oh God, I had no idea. That yeah. was a lot. It's a lot. I mean, when you when you do it, when you divide it up by you know per person per day, it's five hundred bucks per person per day. When it comes down to it, all right. So it was a lot, but we had a a, a one day raffle, sweepstakes, yeah. giveaway, auction. I don't know what the correct legal term is. Um, so in one day, and this is all stuff that's donated by Caleb Cry, by friends, uh, you know, or benefactors of your organization or theirs. Yep. Um, Q, whoever, custom yeah. gun builders, yep. lots of the community donates product. Yep. And I know I, I've been on some stuff. It's a live auction. Our buddy Tom Smith, who yes, was here sir. and did the podcast. <laughs> he is not the normal auctioneer, but yeah. fantastic job. Great, amazing job. But you guys raised, what, a million dollars that million night? Bucks, yeah. A million dollars that night. So, so $200,000, that place, yeah. they should deeper discount you guys yeah but so eight hundred thousand dollars that no one else touches it directly yeah. into yeah it's free yeah and so it all goes to guys yes yeah so that Not, you don't have somebody making 300 grand a year running no. this organization no nope. we uh and, and that's you know and 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 i will tell you we as an organization you know as a i'll speak say for the conscience of the board remaining volunteer is is important um from the optic that nobody is advancing their personal gain from yeah. someone else's tragedy. I mean, even for me, it makes a huge impression on me. And when I promote, you know, your organization or when I go to an event, you know, like I think I got up to bidding on the gun I donated. London Bridge gave us a backpack. Yeah. Yep. We had a gun. I think Voodoo gave us yep, an optic. Loophole. Loophole. It was a Mark V. Oh, that's yep. right. And we gave Atlas, a silencer, an Atlas on there, and an Atlas bipod. And I think I even bid at like twenty eight thousand dollars. Yep. And it went for I don't know thirty or thirty six thousand or something. 
let me tell you what, what that guy did. So he handed us a check, and he goes, hey, here's a check. I rounded it up. $100,000. <laughs> I should have kept bidding him up. <laughs> Are you serious? A yeah, hundred grand. Awesome. So the fix with all the accoutrements went for a hundred grand. I had no idea. I feel so much prouder of myself. <laughs> well, Dave. That beats awesome. the Glock that went for 70000 oh, Jesus. Did it shoot Bin Laden's song? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, well, you know, seeing you get emotional, me get emotional, oh, yeah. like I'm an emotional guy, you are, but it's part of the reason to have you back here. Like we, we, when, when I first started the podcast and it was audio, we did it. Yeah. But when you tell the story to me, it's like when I start talking about, you know, our lame shit that we do, whether 300 blackout, eight, six, the honey badger, yeah. like I love it. And I'm a, but seeing you like care so much, be emotional about it. And understanding the relationships you have with those guys, the relationships you you create with people who are willing to support, like this guy who I'm bidding against, this jackass, who <laughs> gives a hundred thousand dollars. Like, what an awesome yeah. dude! I mean, I, I have no idea who he is even, but what what a great individual! And yeah. that wouldn't be possible if you weren't as committed. If this yeah. were a job to you, I don't think it'd be possible. Probably not. I mean, yeah. the, the what Sakef be, beyond the philanthropic impact that it makes um i can leverage my my experience in business to do this and raise the money to fund these programs that we do but i mean when when you when you boil it down it's basically responding to what consumers want you know and so in the what you experience at that event is you've got you've got a cool place the place is magnificent it was wonderful which is the reason it's not free um Amazing food and drinks and and just you know just the like, bed my hotel my God, room was yes. awesome. like I didn't want them to pay for a room for me right but they did it ahead of time and you know like I was fine with sleeping in the car if there wasn't a room like I didn't want you guys to like <laughs> sp- like I feel like an asshole I'm coming there donate some stuff and spending some money trying to help raise money and then they spend some of it to provide me with a room I mean it's a wonderful thing it's yeah. a thing you guys should do but you know just like me personally. Ivana was like, let him give it to one of the guys. We can sleep in the Suburban. I was like, yeah, well. Yeah. We, we had it covered. Yeah, I know you did, and it was but, wonderful. But it was you a get great the, place. The right uh, industry folks, the right donors, and the right soft folks all kind of in the same room, and magic happens. And that's yeah, ultimately you, you, what happens. You've happened. got something very yeah. easy to see when you see it firsthand that is kind of magical that's happening there. Yeah. There is no one, no matter what they spent, bought, did, that felt like they didn't get their money. Their yeah, money for worth, sure. Money's for worth sure. that night. I mean, I know it was so great to me, you know, like probably one of your heroes, a friend of ours, someone I super admire, Caleb Cry. Yep. My man has done okay, we'll say. Yeah. He's made a couple bucks. <laughs> He's got a buck or two hanging around. And yeah. So we're talking, you know, and uh, he's like, you know, we're catching up and on. It always comes down to, do you see the – because they'll have some incredible stuff, incredible shit that you cannot buy that right. is up there for auction. Yeah. Like whether it is part of the Black Hawk from Black Hawk down in Somalia that they went, you know, what, recovered. 10, 20 years later and recovered part of it, yep. like dig it out of the ground. And then it's documented. And then people who are involved in that, there's, well, I don't want to give it all away, but it, it's, it's, 
some part of American Special Forces history that you can't buy. Yeah, but and you it can. can't be. But you can. <laughs> but you can donate. And, yeah. and I remember, <laughs> you know, like there was one operation, and, and I don't know how much I should say, so I'm not going to give it all away. But there was one operation where it was a very important operation, and one of the guys, the main guys involved, I think he's wearing like a cry uniform, gave it to Caleb, and he's got it in his office, and it means a lot to him. And I may be messing the story up, but I think I got it right. But there was a guy carrying a flag on that mission, mm. and it was up for auction. And so I'm talking to Caleb. I'm like, hey, you going to buy anything? And he's like, yeah, I want that flag. And he's <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to go to $25,000 on it. He's like, what are you going to get? And I was like, oh, man, I want this, and I want this. And, you know, and and I was like, if my gun doesn't go for ten grand, i am going to buy it. Yeah. And I, I remember Caleb in that. He gets to like sixty grand, <laughs> and he's like, "I can't afford it." Yeah, and he wanted it so bad, and he didn't buy it. Yeah. Someone else did, and they spent more than he did. And you know, that's a real humbling place. Like you can have a couple bucks, but there is yeah. somebody there that's got, got a couple more. Times yeah. what you do. <laughs> you got a couple but more. I remember um, my gun. Avon uh, uh, and I were standing in the back, and um, the gun got to like eight or ten thousand dollars. It got to ten. I was like. Like he's doing okay. Like I bid ten grand, bumped it up, and then like then I bid again at like eighteen thousand. Then I bid at like twenty eight thousand. I was like, <laughs> better stop or I'm gonna mess up. And buy my own three thousand yeah. dollar gun for seventy yeah. grand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, the right guy won it. He was able to do that. Yeah. Someone so got Tom's shirt right. Oh yeah. At the end, Tom. Yeah. yeah. Those ridiculous shirts like he sent us. He yeah, was yeah. wearing With one. Christy and, on it. Yeah. Yeah. A, a woman. Somebody wanted it and. Offered five grand, he took it off, and then someone bid it up. I think to like six grand or something, yep. and bought it. Yep, they're wonder. They're a wonderful couple. Oh, they've it's been, a couple. Yeah, yep. Yeah, they've been. Uh, they're neighbors of mine. Oh, uh, for real? Yeah, I'm relatively oh, live great. in the same town. Yeah, they're yeah. wonderful human beings. I mean, it's like the Kathy family, who they don't ever want to be. You know, they, they don't ever even want us to say their name, really, because of they just want to do it for the sake of doing the right thing. Yep. But you know, not just Ross, but as a brother. I mean, they yep. show up every time and spend tens of thousands of dollars and give money away to the guys. And, you know, so that's a Chick-fil-A family. Yep. So, yeah, support Chick-fil-A. I mean, not only is it the best chicken you'll ever have, but they do a lot of good stuff with they their money. Amazing stuff, yeah. Big hearts. And they actually make, uh, the, their family makes their facility available for the marriage counseling. So they help us save marriages. That's awesome. And... They gave, gave Tom Smith the honey badger. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so that was yep. cool. Um, yeah, I mean, out of the blue, just after it was over, you know. I mean, he didn't want me to say who it was, but I don't really care. I don't know him anymore. <laughs> uh, Ross's brother, what's his name? Andrew. Andrew. Nice guy. Great. He's way nicer than Ross, actually. Better looking, too. <laughs> yeah, it goes without saying. Um, but, yeah, after the whole thing was over... Ross is telling him, hey, you got to get one of the honey badgers like me. He's like, okay. And they, like, come and get me and, you know, it's like like he's got a handler, brings me over to his <laughs> table. But not that way. They're very down to earth and nice. And he's like, hey, you know, I want one of the honey badgers like Ross, and I know there's a back order and all. If I donate, like, you know, a lot of money, like whatever it is, five, ten times the cost of the gun, can I just skip the line? I was like. If you'll do that, I'll <laughs> give you one, and we'll give Tom Smith one. Yeah. 
you know, like, and, and he, he did, he did no question. He's just like, I just don't want him to know. So we'll keep it between us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. What a great family. Can we block Tom from listening to this podcast so he doesn't know who, who paid for that? No, nah, he'll find out Live anyway. Free or dot, man. I know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Tom Smith, he'll find yeah, out. Yeah. We can't hide anything. He probably knew when I went to him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he was so incredibly grateful. His wife wrote an incredible like thank you card and sent it to me and Ivanka. And it's like, that's so cool. Like Tom, I mean, he's just a real dude. Had Love no expectation. Guy. He's showing up, even though he's one of the guys, he's showing up to help them out. Thinks he doesn't deserve anything. It's probably because he's Southern. Yep. And um, it was just so grateful and appreciative, yep. appreciative that someone would think of him. Totally. Yeah. You know. I mean, I use the the metaphor that, you know, when I started working with those guys, when I met you and started meeting these guys, it was like, dude, this is this is Captain America and they're Superman. And, you know, like, it's amazing. And then you realize after a while, like, Captain America is broken. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, what a crazy thing. So, like, we train you to be, you know, the most lethal thing in the world. Mm -hmm. We give you all the equipment and permission to go and kill these terrorists. You jump out of planes, you blow shit up, break yourself off, do all the things. And then you come back and you retire and you're supposed to have a normal fucking life. Yeah. And we're not helping you figure it out. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Like, Hey, see you later. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you. High five. Thanks for all you did. See you. Because I've been to some of the retirements, even at some of the classified units, you probably have too. And it's like a very odd thing, first of all. And and they really honor the guys. Yep. But, you know, it's it's like all those organizations, there's lots of formality. There's lots of ritual. It's just historically, this is how we do it. It's how it's done. Thank you very much. You did a great job. See you later. This train's still moving. Yeah. Like, how can you expect a guy to, like, jump out of a plane, blow shit up, shoot people, be a hero, and then you come back and, oh, now your job, you drive your kids to school. John McPhee, I know he's coming up here in a few weeks. Oh, uh, I'm stoked. He, he, <laughs> so he's different than a lot of the guys. I'm so I excited. Love John. Uh, I'm so excited. I remember him telling me we were having a, a you know, a meaningful, deep conversation at one point about yeah. this, and he was like, Dave, you know, their organization and, and their Navy counterparts, he's like, we're trained to do horrific things up close and personal, whites of their eyes. Like, it's hard for us to come back and be a be a Boy Scout, um, you know, when we're, when we're done. It's difficult for that, you know. And, and, yeah, and they and do it for 20 years. Right. It's not just once. Well, and, their entire adult lives, right. basically. And and then you're like midlife crisis age, and you're like, oh, okay, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. yeah. And and another guy from that organization, um, I mean, he, he described, we actually have a video of Chuck talking uh, on our YouTube channel. And, uh, and, and Chuck talks about the psychological um, challenge of – being at that level, you know, the the highest level in the military and walking away from a game that is not yet done. And he's like, dude, it crushed him. You know, that is so interesting to say because I, I think, you know, us on the outside, we can look at things like, um, you know, finally 
serving Bin Laden some justice is like win the World Series. It's not yep. for those guys. Like it never ends. Like you win the Super Bowl, you win the World Series, you do the stupid Disney World commercial, and then you're off for three months. You take your family on vacation. Like there's a sense of finality. Like this was over. We accomplished this. It's done. Next season we start again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like the fighting that we do now with like ununiformed armies and stuff like that, like with just being us fighting terrorists, there is none of that. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I never thought about. Mm. The other part that I like, I've started to intellectually wrap my brain around uh, those those organizations are high performance organizations. They are no fail missions. They are excellence and always improving. And it's an ethos that is in those those units that they can perform at that level. And I'm not talking. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm if I'm describing. Fifth Special Forces Group, the Second Ranger Battalion, CAG Dev Group, the One Sixtieth, the guys up at Belvoir—they are all from the same cloth. Yeah, and and those guys leave these organizations after twenty twenty five years, and then they get to listen to people like me complain about I didn't get enough napkins at the drive through of Starbucks uh-huh. or like. Uh, I, I forgot to respond to your email and, you know, whatever. Or, hey, I, I know I know you called me last week, and it's like, dude, you'd be fired from where I came from if you did that crap. Like, they they lead these high-performance organizations yeah, you get peered out. to come to American life, and they're like, a culture of mediocrity and complaining is what they are hit with. Well, isn't it interesting, like, all of them that we know, oh, they're, like, all the best at everything they do, and then they get to those units, and you're like, you have to fight so hard to be average. Right. It, you know, it's an interesting podcast about what you're saying about how America's failing and what big babies we are. Did I listen to, if I'm traveling, I'll listen to Joe Rogan's podcast some. Never heard of it. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a little one, but it's pretty good. Are you going to say the Yon Me Park one? Yeah. That is made a bigger impact on me than any podcast I've heard in a while. Have you listened to it? No. From the start I know what you're to the end, about. it is... I will go listen to it. It is... Unreal. It makes you realize how pathetically spoiled we are as a society and just how fortunate we are and how much... It just pissed me off at the left even more listening to that when the things that we complain about, and it's so interesting because I would think by nature... Like, she's a North... Everybody should go listen to it. just came out. But she's a North Korean girl who escaped and, like, willingly basically escaped to China sex slavery mm-hmm. because it was a thousand times better than North Korea. Yeah, it's crazy. And then she eventually gets to South Korea and gets freedom and comes to America. And, you know, like, 30 years old, has her first child. She's married. And, you know, like, w- one thing in it where... So she was going to Columbia, I think, or Cornell, like one of those schools. And she, brilliant girl, who was not even educated, just naturally fucking brilliant. And has been through the worst (laughs) shit in the world. And when you listen to her story, the guys that we know and respect and the units that we know and respect would say they are pussies compared to her. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. And what she went through, and, and, and no disrespect to them, but. You know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. they at least grew up with the benefits of America. Yeah. And what she describes and like the her primary source of protein, the 13 years mm-hmm. she lived in, like she became a sex slave at 13. 
mm-hmm. 13 years she lived in North Korea were grasshoppers. Yeah, that's the most common source of protein in North Korea is grasshoppers. And But it goes into all kinds of details, and I'm probably misquoting stuff. But anyway, uh, it just talks about, so to fast forward to kind of near the end of the podcast, she, you know, is pretty fortunate now, understands she's fortunate, but really, like, she points out so many things where they can't really attack her because she's a female, she's foreign, you know, and, like, all these things. And she left Columbia because it was so liberal, it didn't make sense to her. And so she has a, a pretty privileged life by her own admission now, right. but she's worked hard for it. But her mission is to bring awareness to the slavery in North Korea. Mm-hmm. And so it was like she brings out she did she couldn't even wrap her mind around um, like reparations, right? Yeah. And she's like, "You're complaining as Americans about something that happened 250 years ago." Right. Which. And she's like, "It's going on in Korea right now, right? Yeah. And no one cares." She spoke to Nancy Pelosi, called her out. Yeah. You know, like all these world leaders, she refuses to speak at the UN now because she's like, "It's run by China and Russia." And they want North they Korea to her, stay communist. They put her next to the North Koreans as she's suppo- at the UN, as she's supposed to give this speech about the the atrocities North Korea is doing. They sat her next to the North Korean delegation team. With no protection, she had to walk to the hotel by herself and stuff. So she was afraid she's going to be assassinated. Anyway, living in Chicago, has her nanny walking down the sidewalk, pushing the stroller, and three uh, like American minority women attack her. Beat her up, take her purse. She grabs one of them by the arms, trying to call nine one one, and all the white folk around her start yelling at her that she's racist because she's calling the police on someone that attacked mm-hmm. her because they're not white. And she's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you guys?" And it's just like a very interesting. Perspective. She's in Chicago. In Chicago, she should move to America. Yeah, yeah. she should, right? Well, even the... I mean, pos- I think she kind of says it, too. Like, right. America, yeah. you guys are losing touch with reality. Even that position, like that in and of itself, like the position that she was in, like you just said, like her nanny, whatever, all this stuff, um, that is a perfect example of how this all works. It's like she came from literally the worst place you could be in the worst situation, uneducated. By the time she got to a place with education, she was at least 10 years behind, and she has put herself in the positions to go to Columbia or wherever she went to have an end, to be well yeah. off, like all these things. Right. She just made herself. At, at 17 or something, she gets to South Korea finally. She didn't even know what Africa was. Yeah, and she had she was at the she was at the level of a second grader uh, educationally. Yeah, seven years old yeah. level at 17. And she's brilliant now. At 31, yeah. you hear her speak, Jeez. and it's like, oh. And it's just so profound because it is, it, it's kind of like a lost treasure. Someone who was born, you know, 300 years ago right. and is transplanted here now and is like, you guys are complaining about right. the Starbucks yeah. drive through <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's unbelievable. You should listen to it. And yeah, on your flight home, you can probably it. crush it. Yep. So you guys have a YouTube channel. Yes. I didn't even know this. I am not the uh, the king of the social medias. Uh, and we've just recently uh, gotten gotten some of that stuff squared away by people who uh who know how to do it uh you know megan holly yeah so megan's actually taking the the bull by the horns and running all the the socials everything from linkedin and facebook and instagram to youtube and so we've had a handful of videos that uh, have been gifted to us 
from from some friends. So and, you're not uh, actively doing them right now. No, it's just uh, uh, Richard King, a uh, friend from Atlanta, oh. has been gracious enough. A great to, friend to everyone. Yeah, just you know, like tapes rolling. Just start asking these guys questions, and then you know, edit it together and cobble it together. And you know, uh, just just friends from the industry have done that a number of times. Um, I think it's it's amazing. This will live on that YouTube oh, channel I was as long about, as we have permission. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah get yeah. permission. And and Thomas, make sure we link to theirs and everything, please. Um, oh no, that's incredible. Uh, as your as your organization continues to grow, because um, I like to think it's sort of like Q. It's like the most incredible thing. Not everybody knows about it yet. I think as more industry knows, you're going to get more and more support. You guys are going to be able to do these things, mm-hmm. and I, like I can't wait to see the future. Yeah. I was so blown away. I mean, you think about Dave Kramer. 2018 you think you have like a one night auction event you raise a million dollars no (laughs) never i mean it's insane i mean it is i i try to not watch the news too much because it makes me furiously angry yeah but you come to an event like that and you're like this is where america is like generous generous caring people like it restores your faith in in uh in in humanity, yeah, when you watch it is people. easy to lose it. Like yeah. it makes me very sad to think that we're not doing America as good potentially as some other countries. And you know, I wonder how much social media and shit has to play in this because it's so easy for this woke crowd to type shit or say shit when you're not face to face. Right. And that's where I continue to love that Mike Tyson quote, and I love it for our haters. Like, w- what is it you motherfuckers got to use to? saying yeah. shit on social media yeah. and not getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I think it sort of is a thing. Because there is no one, I don't care. Like, I'm not the most conservative guy by my own admission in, in, in America or in our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but where the things that make sense, I'm very conservative. But there, it doesn't matter any of your views. You go to this event, like, you have a definite character fall or psychological problem if you are not touched and supportive and donate in whatever way you can like i'm sure you guys are happy for five bucks a month or you know anything anyone can do Uh, like i mean i know with industry stuff like it's rare that you even ask me for stuff and like we want to do it you know it's like sometimes i don't know when you guys are putting on events or doing something You, you know you always have a friend in queue as long as i'm here um, and, and I think it would go like, I hate Marty Daniel. I think he's a big sack of poo. <laughs> but I bet even Marty or his people under him, <laughs> if you guys need anything, are probably there for you 100%. They probably donate and help out as well. I mean, I think anybody would in our industry. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, if you wouldn't, you're a kook. You're kook. a fucking big idiot. Big idiot kook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been cool to see industry partners and friends you know just be like absolutely here's here's this you know item and for for many of the donors that show up you know a a a super cool rifle with a badass optic it starts to go in the auction and then then you get a guy like tom smith be like hey i'll teach you how to shoot it and you know people are like dude not only am I getting this badass gun with this optic and some laser on it, you know, and a bucket of magazines, but uh, now I'm getting this commando of the highest tier to teach me how to use it. It's super cool. So. Yeah. 
I mean, it's cool. I mean, I think that's the involvement. I mean, I, I think those guys have a responsibility, too. They can't just say, hey, I did this thing. I need something the rest of my life. And it's great. I mean, those in the know, like, we want to help them. But they got to play a part, too. Yeah. And, and I, I think you had 50-something guys there that yep. – you know, personified that. I mean, Tom, he's not even an auctioneer. And he's like, hey, what the hell do you guys need? <laughs> yeah. You know, the auctioneer's not here. He can't make it. I got you. Yep. Like, I'll find a way to get people to bid. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, they need to play a part, too. It's just like anything, I think, that's successful where there's someone in need. Like, they got to want to do it and participate. Yeah. And it can happen. How'd this clock go for 70 grand? What the hell? Pretty pretty awesome story so uh so friends that that work at glock went um, for their 30th anniversary in in u.s uh in the u.s they had 30 glock 17s made that were all uh custom etched uh slides by one of these master engraver guys um it's in a it's in a commemorative case um so one of our one of our most amazing supporters um, is bidding on it amongst one of our board members, and it's going back and forth. Fifteen, Which twenty board member. Um, David Money. Yeah, he's got some. He, he does. He's, he's been successful in his life. So uh, the the gun is going back. Best and forth. case scenario. Yes, rich guys yeah. both wanting something. <laughs> the only one. Um, so this gun gets to. I think it was. Like twenty five or thirty thousand dollars already unbelievable yes. for yeah. four hundred dollars for, <laughs> for, for, for a Honda lawnmower, basically, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, so uh, yeah, he he walks up. The crowd is blown away, and uh, he gets it, and he goes to the auctioneer, Jeremy. He goes auction it again, and he sits back down, and he wins it a second time for thirty five thousand bucks, and then he gave it to us and he said use it at another event and one of uh i believe oh, it'd a, be cool uh, if it can become the uh um the fruitcake that you ooh, sent yes. <laughs> so that was the idea uh, and uh, another mutual friend of ours who i believe um might you might know um his dad works for turner uh bought it and uh <laughs> And so yeah, it's it's up around seventy five thousand bucks for a Glock. Yeah, the greatest gun ever made, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Only to be outdone by a Q fix. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. Because I was going to say, I don't think Saddam's Glock would sell for seventy no. grand. That's incredible. I mean, it's so good. You just hope that Saddam's you could... Glock is at the the Bush Presidential Library. Is it for really? Him? Yeah. He gave it to him. He gave it to him when Bush told him they could go into Kuwait. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there you go. So, uh, Lou's team, mm-hmm. uh, when they did that, everybody involved in that thing, uh, when they recovered it, they they had it framed, and every guy on that from that particular squadron signed it, and uh, and it was presented to President Bush, and so it's at the the presidential libraries. I understand it. That's so awesome. That's cool. I've seen so many things from the war that came out of Bin Laden's power. <laughs> you know, I tried to buy... Saddam uh, or Bin Laden? Or both? Uh, Saddam. Yeah. I haven't seen... Well, yeah, I know our buddy Hughes got, like, Bin Laden's cane. You know, he's in the To Kill Bin Laden. Yep. And they were right after the hot, hot pursuit <laughs> when 
they caught up to him. The fire was still, or the you know everything was still hot. They anyway found his walking stick that they knew in the video. I don't know. There's all yep. kinds of great stories, but no S- Saddam. I tried to buy his uh, Ruger 243 that they were auctioning off, and then they decided to. Uh, when I was the highest bidder, they decided to uh, put it in the agency library, basically. What'd they pay for it? Nothing. No, they were trying to establish a fucking value. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what I bid for it. So when was he killed? Saddam? Saddam? Well, he was captured, he was captured in 2003. But uh, they finally put him on trial. I believe it was 06. So I, so probably 05. And it's a Ruger 243 M77 that is engraved for him, but not fancy. All the documentation. There's lots of great photos, like at one of his son's weddings, shooting it. And right. Shit. And um, I think I was the highest bidder then at forty six thousand. And they opted to. Uh, and Reed Knight, he's very familiar with these sorts of things. He says because I had him bid for me as like a ghost bid, so right. that like some rich guy wouldn't outbid me, like. Everyone's afraid of Reed because he's got like a billion right, dollars. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and we'll spend it on guns. Right. And he won it. I've seen that collection. Yeah, even before he, he bid, he's like, you're not going to get it. All they're doing is establishing a value to put it in their own, you know, like library museum. I was like, shut up, Reed. <laughs> and uh, he did, and sure enough, I won it. And then they sent a little note saying, oh, sorry, we're unable to sell this gun. That sucks. Oh, I wanted it so bad. Like right now, I'd pay a quarter of a million dollars. Let's go get it. I don't know. We're gonna you often wonder, like, then. what would they do with that? Like the money. Well, what they the should gun? pay down the debt, but but <laughs> what? Uh, like, why do they even bother to establish a value on it? I don't know. I'm sure there's some accounting attorney bullshit reason they got to do it. That's I crazy. Know. I, I know it is. It, they they should be able to do it without asking questions. But. Or answering questions. Or they'll sell know. it to some unsavory type in a deal later down the line. Yeah. They'll trade it to me when they need yeah, something yeah. I'm unwilling to do. Yeah. I'll be like, yeah, I'll, I can do that for you guys. It's going to cost you one Ruger <laughs> M77 <laughs> and 243. Yeah. It says Saddam Hussein <laughs> on the barrel. <laughs> just front of the receiver. <laughs> Item number 17 in your museum. Yeah. The agency's got that thing? Yeah. Is it in their museum? Yeah. Hmm. I'm still mad. Let's go get it. We'll figure it out. It's a cool museum. They wait in the waiting room last time I was there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's probably in the museum one week out of the year. Sure. And it's in some closet the rest yeah. of the time. We're at, you know, I could make it famous. So what's going on? You got you guys got an event? Uh, we're going to do, uh, this year? We're gonna do one in Chicago. Um, we, have a, we have an amazing friend... A couple up there that uh, came to a very early Sock F event. And he he and his wife were like, this, we've been looking for something to do. And this is what we want to do. And he said, can we just run an event for you like what you do in Atlanta? And and, uh, we'll partner on it. So, yeah, we're going to do one in September up in Chicago. September? September when? September 23, 24. I don't have my phone. Where's my invite? Um, Didn't get one. Didn't. Just it must like be in the mail. Saddam rifle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll make it happen. I'll bid everyone up and not buy anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm your best friend. 
So yeah, so we got that coming up. Uh, oh, I would love to come to it. Oh man, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's uh, still it's, uh, kind the, of America. The north, yeah, it's outside of of um, is it Clark County? Is that what uh, Chicago is? Cook right. County. Uh, it's outside of there, so it's it's closer to uh, um, to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, it's in the farmland. It's it's surrounded by cornfields and silos. Can you say what these people do who help you sponsor? Yeah, this? they're uh, they're wonderful real estate commercial real estate folks. Darwin Realty is this company. Uh, it's Matt and Mandy Lewandowski. They're amazing humans, uh, amazing Americans, and uh, probably you know. Uh, share a similar sentiment as, as our leadership, like, Hey, uh, you know, they can transact real estate, uh, because, and they don't have to worry about the school bus blowing up and, uh, you know, the, the mall getting taken over by, by jihad, you know, so they can, their, the quality of their life is guaranteed by, by a bunch of people going overseas, keeping the fight 8,000 miles away. It's so interesting like as America, and, and, and as I get old and on my third beer and second shot, um, <laughs> you know, like Ivanka, a lot of her family now, her immediate family, they live in Brooklyn, and then some of them just moved over into New Jersey over the bridge. And we go see them, and I meet, you know, and as I know, like her mother and her family, and it's like, that's not that long ago, World War II, and how fucked over Poland was yeah. by the Germans, by the Russians, yes. and the shit that we have our heads so far in the sand that we take for granted we think can't happen here, you know, and like, so her family's not even Jewish, and a bunch of them ended up in death camps in Poland, and she grew up in Krakow, so... Mm. very close to one of the largest yeah. ones. And when they're in middle school, they take them all there. And a bunch of her family w- were in that because, like, they would treat, um, like, she had a, a, a couple members of her family that were nurses mm. during the 40s. And they would, you know, illegally treat um, Jews who needed medical assistance that were in hiding. And they were captured, and then their entire fa- her entire family, you know, that part of the family was put into these concentration camps. And it's like, you know, that's when her mother was born. Y- you know, and you think of these things, and it's like, that is not that long ago. And for yeah. us to act yeah. like this shit can't happen here. Right. Yeah. And like, Poland is not the third world. Nope. And, you know, you hear the stories about, like, why her mother came here and how her family came here. And, you know, it's all as a result of a lot of that stuff. And it's just like, you know, not that long ago, and we act like, oh, we can give up all these rights, and the government's going to take care of us and protect us. And, you know, oh, yeah, no one would, you know, Hitler or Saddam, you know, they're just like outliers. Yeah, so, can't nah, happen again. No, maybe not. And, and that we just don't cherish the Constitution in which, you know, like our forefathers, right. like, sacrificed their lives for. And oh no, it is hard to un- like wrap your brain intellectually around the, the notion that government is not tyrannical. Because for, you know, for my entire lifetime, the cops, if I said like you leave my property unless you have a warrant, leave. Like, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that there was a time in America that that wasn't the case. Um, yeah, that we actually have freedoms, right? And we can 
I mean, this is a simple thing of owning stuff. And right. The, and the government, and, and we Can't think that it. the government's all good. And, oh, I mean, it, it's as I get older, and, and, you know, even when I think about money or business, it, it's like all the things I want in my life are more freedom. Yeah. Like money's not going to make it, money's not going to make me happier. It's not going to make, you know, my relationship with my kids closer or, you know, ease the pain of my parents as they're, you know, extremely old and going through all sorts of health things. It's like, but the money can give me some freedom. I can buy yeah. nurses for them. I can get, you know, uh, I have a, a, a kid that's got executive functioning stuff. Mm-hmm. I can hire tutors for him, send him to a school that costs a hundred grand a year. You know, I can work less. I can afford things that give me more freedom. Um, uh, And and there's people that don't understand it and are willing to give it away. It's crazy. Like with my own eyes, I have to see and then ask a question. If government is such a a big benefactor, then why are there public employees unions? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's been going on since like beginning of time. At least Socrates like wrote something about it about how kids of the generation after him were, you know, so ill behaved. Hmm. And we're just stupid, and we continue to do the same, make the same mistakes, and we give away a little at a time until we're going to reach a generation where they're like, "Fuck this! Might as well fight. Take this back." Um, anyway, great seeing you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, fellas. And yeah, anything yeah. you need from us, oh, know you got a friend and a partner with us anytime you. you're doing something. If I don't hear from you and we're not allowed to donate, don't call me for six months. Heads will roll. Heads will roll.